0: Bum, 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 da bum, 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 Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 12th day of August, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and how do we begin to wrap up a week like this one, where essentially so many things that we've seen coming to a head are still coming to a head, and so much evil is out there that it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around anyway. But on the other hand, so much of the most important news, at least, whether the Waste Stream wants to talk about it or not, are things that it almost seems like we've seen over and over and over again. I suspect all of us just want to say enough already. Well, sometimes when that's the case, I begin the week and the review chronologically. This week, I'm going to start off a bit differently. And our first story today constitutes an entry in literally every single one of those three columns, the good, the bad, and the really, truly ugly. This comes from the University of Colorado Woke campus for what a piece from Zero Hedge calls research from pro-vax researchers who at least admit something that those who don't want to be poisoned have suggested is probably true for a long time. Provax researchers at the University of Colorado published a study on vaccine shedding. In other words, do people who take the poison poke become little spike protein factories and shed it all over the place? The answer is yes, and we've actually known that for quite some time. But they celebrate that fact rather than admitting that there's a problem here. Quote, Our results suggest that aerosol transmission of antibodies may also contribute to host protection and represent an entirely unrecognized mechanism. Ain't bioweapons wonderful? an unrecognized mechanism by which passive immune protection – yeah, these big pharma whores actually come right out and call it that – may be communicated. Whether antibody transfer mediates host protection will be a function of exposure, but it seems reasonable to suggest, all things being equal, that any amount of antibody transfer would prove useful to the recipient host, especially if the goal is to destroy their immune system, obviously. So whether or not you want to be protected – is moot so far as the pro-vax researchers at University of Colorado woke are concerned. Perhaps even more shocking, this piece continues, the authors go on to cite another study suggesting that shedding from vaccinated adults may actually be an effective way to poison or uh, vaccinate their children. A recent publication showed substantial benefits, yeah, sure, of parental vaccination in reducing the risk of infection in the unvaccinated children in the same home. Ha, 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 we got you. America's leading cardiologist, Dr. Peter McCulloch, and certainly a COVID-19 expert who's come out against the uh, Zyklon B injections, responded thusly, quote, These sad results confirmed our fears about the mRNA-based so-called, and he puts it in quotes, vaccine. Beyond the outsized health risks they pose to individuals, these risks may be transferable to bystanders in their immediate vicinity, unquote. And he does note that perhaps one of the best protections against the uh, involuntary poisoning of bystanders by those who have become little spike protein factors is a daily dose of over-the-counter natokinase, an enzyme which the story says is known for its ability to degrade the mRNA-bearing spike protein. And, of course, let's not forget one thing that Tony Fauci doesn't, well, one among many things, anyway, that Tony Fauci doesn't want a dumbed-down American populace to know about, which virtually every honest study has shown is far, far more effective at actually protecting you and even preventing transmission than anything you might have been duped to inject into your bloodstream in an attempt to destroy your immune system. Uh, did I make that clear enough? From there, we'll move on to another story that's just bad and ugly. The U.S. Solicitor General, is that kind of like a generalized streetwalker? Elizabeth Prelogar filed an emergency application on July 27th with the U.S. Supreme Court, requesting that they block a ruling invalidating unconstitutional federal so-called Ghost gun regulations. What's a ghost gun? Because there's really no such thing, but that doesn't stop them making up a scary name. And uh, it's not Casper in this case that's packing one. Anything you build yourself that Big Brother doesn't want you to have any way, shape, or form. So there are some unconstitutional infringements, and a lower court invalidated those nationwide. And now the high court has granted the regime's request to stay the Second Amendment a bit longer at a 5-4 to four decision. The Chief Justice and eminently blackmailable John Roberts, as well as Amy Coney Barrett, sided with the far left on the court to temporarily reinstate the ban on companies selling what idiots call ghost guns. On the other hand, the uh, constitutionalists, including Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, Neil Gorsuch, and Brett Kavanaugh, all opposed. And as commonly seen with so-called emergency requests, the court provided no explanation other than the obvious. Infringement is just fine. And the new regulation explains zero hedges coverage around so-called ghost guns enforced by the unconstitutional Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and now Explosives has been challenged by anybody that can read the words shall not be infringed. And in June, a Texas federal judge determined that the so-called ghost gun regulation. okay what does that asinine misnomer really mean? That's something that somebody can build themselves and thus avoid the trap of commerce and those slaves who accept a license to participate in it. The concept that you won't be allowed to buy or sell without permission. And not only that, the court said it well will beyond the unconstitutional ATF's power, which shouldn't exist in the first place, and nullified the non-law. Then in late July, the Fifth Circuit decided, hey, you know, we might as well allow that Constitution thing to hold at least a little bit of sway for a while, and they allowed gun manufacturers to sell the kits. Without the infringement. And here comes the usual smoke. The primary issue, claim Big Brothers Enforcers, revolves around whether gun kits can be called firearms, and thus infringed under the 1968 law that says anybody that engages in licensing and becomes a dealer is subject to the jurisdiction of something other than the Constitution, so we'll just do what we want. Whereas the Biden-Führer ventriloquists allege that these 80% lower kits, like the one sold by Polymer 80, are and therefore must be in French, because they call them firearms, and they can be readily converted into something that actually serves the purpose of keeping and bearing arms. And since nothing even remotely associated with this has any relevance to reducing crime, you know the point. It's about creating yet another expansive way to say, you slaves can't own anything, period, that we don't want you to have. Get used to it. It will, of course, eventually end up back in the Supreme Court, and we'll see then whether they can even pretend to understand the meaning of words like shall not. Here's a related story, also no surprise whatsoever. Far left! Communists in Congress, they still call themselves Democrats, but they're getting over that, Reintroduce unconstitutional legislation. Is there really even any other kind anymore? Imposing a thousand percent excise tax on the sale of what they deem to be large capacity ammunition feeding devices. Again, something they don't want you to have and semi-automatic assault weapons, which they intend to infringe into non-existence. A leftist Democrat from Virginia, but is there any other kind, named Doug Bayer, and 24 other House communists introduced a bill on Friday intended to make sure only the wealthy elite and those nicely connected to the deep state can own semi-automatic rifles while punishing poor, middle-class, and working Americans. The new bill, called H.R. 5135, and no surprise, it also invokes the Internal Revenue Code and their tens of thousands of new jackbooted goons... It's pretty much the same one proposed by Bayer last summer, and the intent is to infringe firearms this time by making sure that nobody except the uber-rich can even remotely afford one. By making pretty much anything they might want, cost more than 20000 bucks, And that's before the bite inflation that's still being baked into the cake. Oh yeah, and can you see now why people just might want to try to build one themselves at that price? And why they want to call that a loophole and close it too, before you even think about it? And at the same time, you can bet that you peons will not be allowed to sell it and thus maybe even make a profit while being disarmed. Because remember, folks, slaves can't own property, much less sell it. But they may even allow you to sell it to them if they don't bust down your door 4 a.m. first and take it. And now, if you think about it, you know the other really bad thing about what they call a ghost gun. They don't know where you live to come get it. All of which leads me directly to this piece, also courtesy of Zero Hedge, but the origin is authors Harold Furcott Roth and Kirk Arner via RealClear Markets of a piece entitled Artificial Intelligence Meets Artificial Regulation. Last month, it says, the Biden regime marshaled executives from Gulag, Amazon, MicroShaft, Meta, OpenAI, Anthropic, and Inflection to the White Whorehouse to sign what was called, laughably, a voluntary agreement that, among other things, would subject their AI systems to audits before public release and require data sharing. So Big Brother knows, and knows what the back doors are too, probably with the government and academics. Not that a good enough AI wouldn't shut down those back doors right up front. But if the agreement were truly voluntary, say the authors, there'd be no need for anyone to travel to D.C., much less the scene of the crime where the Biden floor pretends to be the president. Willing businesses could simply sign the pledge virtually, like they did all during the COVID-19 pandemic, remember, promising their best efforts towards the ostensibly noble goal. And they wouldn't even have to worry about ...inviting antitrust questions. But of course, anybody paying attention realizes the so-called agreement was anything but voluntary. It was planned and coordinated by the puppet masters running the White House. America has hundreds of thousands of businesses that enter into contracts and agreements on a daily basis... ...and few of them have to visit Washington, much less the white House purely of their own volition. So why did these major tech and AI execs end up finding themselves in the District of Criminal Swamp last month? Simply put, says the piece, at the moment anyway, there are no federal laws or regulations governing the use of AI. And the administration, maybe it's because Hollywood has some hooks in them too, wishes that wasn't the case. I don't think it's that they care about AI ruining your lives, folks, but maybe they care about the same things the writers in Hollywood are on strike about. So say the authors. To remedy this, the regime needed to negotiate the now-signed voluntary agreement with America's leading AI firms. And you can probably assume that the White House may have made concessions to individual companies to get them to sign the agreement and probably, almost certainly, threatened actions if a company refused to sign the so-called voluntary agreement. I'm going to make them an offer again refuse. But it gets worse, says the piece. The signatory's not-so-voluntary volunteerism continues far beyond the signing of the agreement, if Big Brother has its way, and since when, don't they, with the public-private partners? Any deviations by the signatories might be deemed to be deceptive practices that run afoul of Section 5 of the so-called FTC Act, according to a commission official who spoke on the condition of anonymity to talk about the agency's thinking when it comes to octung enforcement. Which leads the authors to what they're working up to. Artificial intelligence meets artificial regulation, said the headline, and inviting top business leaders to the White House to sign what's laughably called a voluntary agreement that a federal agency secretly seeks to enforce, despite no statutory authority whatsoever, to regulate the substance of the agreement is, they suggest, no way to run a government. Call it artificial regulation, they suggest, and while the threats are real, the regulation is anything but... But wait just a dadgum minute here. Who are we kidding? That is the way they have been running what now passes for a government but isn't even remotely constitutional for a long, long time now. Now, here's the problem, folks, and this is where I'm going to deviate a bit from the main point of the article. But the dots are right out there waiting to be connected. Since when does not having the authority to do something even slow Big Brother down? Why, if it turns out that there's something they want to do, and the Constitution, like say the Bill of Rights, prohibits it, whether it's regulating speech or prohibiting it entirely if they don't like it, or want to call it malinformation or disinformation, or just throw people in jail for doing, they go ahead and do it anyway. Shall not be infringed? It's like an open invitation. Infringe away. If we can't tax it and regulate it, we'll just come and steal it. We'll call it a red flag law. And don't you dare think you have any right to peaceably assemble, much less protest whatever we're doing for a redress of grievances because we'll throw you in the gulag and don't even think about so-called due process or maybe actually require a warrant before they break and enter or search and seize something come on man but here's the thing i want to point out there is a prohibition an absolute prohibition against any infringement whatsoever on the god given constitutionally protected right of americans to keep and bear arms the Big Brother government simply has no authority whatsoever to do anything, not fold, tax, spend,le mutilate, regulate, or much less register and prohibit the exercise of the right up front, like, say, prohibiting the sale if you don't have the mark or aren't willing to be a good little slave of any kind of arms. But notice how they call something a firearm, and then they can do any blankety blanket thing they blankety-blankin will want to with you, the slave. That is, if at least you agree to submit to the jurisdiction thereof. Which brings me to something we clearly don't have. The founders, while the left loves to claim they would never have imagined, although they did, that private citizens might own firearms, they might own swords, they might even own cannons. After all, Thomas Jefferson did. The Biden fewer doesn't want you to have any of those things. But they love saying, hey, when they wrote that your person's houses, papers, and effects couldn't be seized without that pesky thing called a warrant, they didn't even dream of telephones and think about prohibiting wiretaps or that you might have a personal communications device like a cell phone and prohibit tapping into that or recording it much less snagging all your emails or listening to you through your home electronic devices. (laughs) Ha ha, aren't we clever? So it never occurred to them to write something like the right of the people to design, to make, to build, to keep and bear artificial entities or intelligences, even AI gods, shall not be infringed. So arguably they don't even have to worry about prohibitions like that. So I have to ask the obvious question. Why not just define AI as a firearm? then you can go ahead and regulate the living hell out of it all you want. And you can certainly prevent the peons from having any access to it and protect the Hollywood writers while you're at it. You see, I've said this before, but they're making it ever so clear, and that is at least part of their problem. If you can infringe the living hell out of something about which, matter of fact, it's the only specifically enumerated piece of property, period, in the entire Bill of Rights, about which the founders wrote, shall not be infringed, well, what can't you do to the slaves? Answer, nothing. Anything you want is fair game. So just define whatever it is you want to destroy as a firearm, And go to it. I mean, really, while you're at it, you might as well just say, hey, without your permission, the peons can't even be allowed to buy or sell. And aren't we getting awfully close to that? Another thing the peons aren't going to be allowed to do is to say no to being irradiated, whether it's at an airport because they want to check out your genitalia and inspect your bags without a warrant, or nowadays in your home, your front yard, or your bedroom. It's called 5G, and for a couple of trillion bucks, they intend to make it pervasive. You can't escape. Well, with the possible exception, ironically, of Russia. And this story is certainly eyebrow-raising. Looks like the original source was one called dainkabadyaloy.com. Another source that I'll get to in a minute credits Russia Today. But basically, they all give us a bit of compare and contrast with what a real leader that cares about his people looks like, as opposed to, say, the dictator of these formerly free United States. And in this case, it's Russian President Vladimir Putin that has banned the outright deadly to the point of being openly evil millimeter wavelength 5G towers in all of the Russian Federation amid concerns Entirely justified, some of us would note, that the technology is not only medically unsafe and downright deadly, but it's caused the deaths of school children near St. Petersburg. Discussion, says the piece, over the adverse events of 5G are not new, and that's an understatement. For over a decade, alternative media have linked this technology and even some of the older versions that aren't quite as deadly to myriad health issues, including immunosuppressive diseases, virus replication, and of course those pain rays or active denial systems that you may have heard about on the same alternative sources. The specifics of which, says the piece, are beyond the scope of this website and even the author's knowledge. However, Putin has pledged to dismantle existing 5G towers, and that shows the hazards of EM radiation and that it's in fact rooted in more than just conspiracy theory, and this is kind of interesting, unlike the US and rest of the West, Russia didn't start erecting towers overnight when the technology developed by Qualcomm and the mobile ecosystem became available back in 2015, but since then, and thanks to the lure of a couple trillion bucks, the US has built over 150,000 of these deadly towers, and by comparison, Russia had only 22 of them, primarily in Moscow. During the pandemic, with schools shuttered, it says, mobile providers in the U.S. accelerated the construction of towers within a stone's throw of elementary schools nationwide because parents were paying attention to other things, like whether Big Brother was going to stunt their children's development or cut their genitalia off and just kill them entirely. But when schools reopened, it says, suddenly students saw sprawling 5G dishes from horizon to horizon and atop school roofs. And here you thought the curriculum was the only threat in those cesspools. Among the four major mobile ops in Russia... I won't name them, you've probably never heard of most of them. Only MTS started limited deployment of 5G in 2021, placing towers in Moscow, St. Petersburg, and Novosibirsk, Russia's most populous cities, and with a single tower 15 meters from an elementary school playground on the outskirts of St. Petersburg. In April 2023, 16 students there experienced severe side effects of what Vladimir Putin has now called electromagnetic poisoning. Early symptoms included spontaneous vomiting, dizziness, tinnitus, intolerable headaches, and abdominal inflammation. Later symptoms, though, were gastrointestinal bleeding, cerebral hemorrhaging, and blindness due to the decay of their ocular nerves. The affected children were ages 8 through 12 and had attended school that same semester. Moreover, it notes, these sick kids were unvaccinated. How's this, folks, for telling people the unvarnished truth? So, health officials at Russia's Ministry of Health were able to rule out the deadly Covid 1984, not vaccine side effects, and that comes closer to real science than anything Fauci will allow you to hear. Comprehensive blood work and radiological imaging tests ruled out other pre-existing maladies, foodborne ailments, medications, and biological and chemical agents. But by June 6, 2023, 11 of the 16 students had died. And you know what, folks, what's fascinating to me is that there is more technical detail in this single article out of Russia than all of the combined articles in the waste stream press in the dumb down and uh, increasingly poisoned United States. For example, this paragraph, Health Minister Mikhail Murashko with the aid of the Ministry of Defense ordered an inspection team to evaluate and actually report the transmission frequencies emanating from the 5G cell tower which they noted pulsed electromagnetic waves in the 24 to 50 gigahertz range near the bottom of the millimeter wavelength scale, which they also note so-called regulatory bodies and telecom firms worldwide had lied and declared were safe to humans. While the former SCC director under the Obama regime, Tom Wheeler, said in 2016, 5G poses no threat whatsoever to people, wildlife or pets. Anyone questioning its safety is promoting baseless conspiracies. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Unquote. And if there's a hell, folks, that statement's certainly deserving of an entry pass. Turns out, and I've mentioned this before, the U.S. military's ADS active denial system, a.k.a. the pain ray, uses frequencies just slightly higher than that at around 60 gigahertz, or so at least the unclassified reports have said. In mid-July, this almost-too-good-to-believe story continues. The Russian president met with many telecom execs and health experts to discuss the dangers inherent in the proliferation of the deadly 5G technology. He showed them images of dead children one's brain had literally liquefied, and he informed them that he intended to enforce a moratorium on 5G research and development and demolish all of the towers in the Russian Federation. And, says the story, just as you might expect, the mandate wasn't well received. By telecom execs. Listen to this. MTS Vice President of 5G Infrastructure Borya Vaslov said the absence of 5G would put Russia at a technological disadvantage, adding that Russia needed 5G to strengthen their once thriving economy thanks to World War III going on in Ukraine. Now, as I'm reading this, kind of makes you wonder was that a comment intended to PO the Russian president? We'll keep reading. Putin then spread images of dead and sick children on the conference table and reportedly said, what about them? What has your 5G done to them? To which Voslov said, we can't blame 5G for this. Our comrades in the West agree that 5G is safe. Are you crazy or just plain stupid? Stupid is, stupid does, Mrs. Blue. I guess. Unquote. Now, is this next part true? I'll admit, as I read this, I tend to think, hmm, maybe this is over the top. Maybe it is, in fact, an indicator that Vladimir Putin is exactly what we know he is and was. And that's an executioner, head of the KGB, NKVD, Russian secret police, and so forth. And, uh, well, in the position that he's in because of what he's been able to accomplish, it does sound a bit like something out of The Godfather. And as I say that, I can't help but think it also sounds like the kind of thing the Dixie Mafia and those that came after, like the Biden-fear Mafia, have been doing and getting away with and that the Waystream simply doesn't want to report on. So who are we kidding and why would we be surprised? But anyway, buckle up, here we go. Putin then ordered a security agent next to him to shoot Vaslov squarely between the eyes. And without hesitation, the agent did exactly that, drew his makarov, and put a bullet in the man's forehead in full view of 15 people. Again, I don't know if it's true or not. We've seen movies where things like that have happened. And you know what? As shocking as that might be, I can't help but think that there's more than a few of this fellow's comrades in the West that the United States, the world, would be far better off if it had happened to them. You can probably drop your own list of candidates. But the piece concludes that a week later, the engineer troops of the Russian Federation, a military administrative corps of their army, I guess you might say akin to the American Corps of Engineers, began decommissioning 5G cell towers in Moscow, whereupon pedestrians cheered as the monolithic towers came crashing down. And as of this writing claims the peace, Russia has eliminated all of their 5G towers. I'll say it again. If it's not true, it should be. And isn't it refreshing to at least imagine a leader that actually cares about the health of his citizenry, and especially the children? And we'll be right back. We're killing our babies before they are born. Stand up and be kind and come and sound the alarm. you one of God's children, but nothing but the devil's... I'm Welcome back now to the second half of the show for this evening. I am still your host, Mark Hall, and I've got an in-depth report that I want to do in the latter part of this one. But I'm going to begin with at least a story or two to help set all that up. Here's one out of Provo, Utah, that I suspect we can all agree we're not hearing the whole truth about. A 75-year-old man was executed on his own doorstep just after 6 a.m. local time, Thursday morning, allegedly because he threatened the Biden Fuhrer, the fake president. And it may be that's all you got to say anymore to get on their list. The Epoch Times reported that, quote, the incident began when special agents attempted to serve arrests and search warrants at a residence. The subject is deceased. We came, we saw, (laughs) he died. (laughs) Did it have anything to do with your visit? No, I'm sure it did. Yep, the neighbor said the 75-year-old man was very public about his political views on Facebook, but deep down they said he was just a cranky old guy who was harmless. Well, now he's dead. What we know for sure, at least it seems, is that he had guns. He said politically incorrect things. Whether or not, folks, the pictures and websites you're going to see have anything to do with the truth remains to be seen, and we may never know. After all, if he was a communist transgender mass murderer, his Twitter and two Facebook accounts would have been purged by now, never to be seen. So color me just a wee bit suspicious that this time the mainstream media is putting up a whole lot of pictures and posters. But one thing's for sure, they're already spinning him as a major threat to the unelected senile guy who really ought to be worried about being hauled off in an orange jumpsuit after an impeachment we know will never happen and tried and convicted for bribery and treason. But remember, folks, this is the same FBI that silences people and made sure you never heard about the Hunter Biden laptop until they had rigged an election. The Epoch Times story, also via Zero Hedge, reported that on March 19th, two agents surveilled a Provo residence where they believed Mr. Craig Robertson lived and witnessed a white male around 70 to 75 years old exiting the home and entering a vehicle registered to Mr. Robertson. And get this, folks, this is damning, isn't it? He was wearing a hat with the word Trump. On the front. Well, really, what else do you need to know? Oh, I guess this is telling, too. They claimed he threatened other deep-staters, too, like Manhattan D.A. Alvin Bragg, who's among those charged with the task of destroying the actually elected president. And on this score, the FBI was tipped off by big socialist media. Whereupon a couple of agents followed Mr. Roberts to a church. Well, that's bad enough. Then later back home, they approached him, and after answering their questions, maybe he shouldn't have done that, he said, We're down here. Don't return without a warrant. They did, and that was the last thing Mr. Robertson ever saw. But I guess we can all agree he'd have been better off if he just hung a rainbow flag, trotted around naked at that same age, and maybe firebombed a police precinct. I guess I'd better say it again. If you're not cynical by now, you're drinking the Bud Light. Speaking of which, the Epoch Times reports that court records from Hunter Biden's imperiled Bogus plea deal with the Department of Just Us. Yeah, they wanted to slap him on the wrist, then bury it again. But now this one divulges details on more than $2.6 that the alleged first son received from Communist China and various affiliates of the CCP, or Communist Chinese Party. You remember what they tried to get away with? He pleads guilty to a couple of petty misdemeanors and would have a felony gun charge diverted. Because, you know, the slave masters don't have to worry about the same kind of things that the slaves do. During a July 26 hearing on his plea deal with the Department of Justice, Biden admitted to having received money from communist Chinese energy firm CEFC. And the plea agreement demonstrates how in-depth prosecutors went with transactions between the whoring crackhead Biden Air, Chinese companies and various CCP affiliates totaling at least 2.6 million in bribes overall. But says the story is probably a lot more than that because of all the clever structuring. More chicanery, criminality, and of course outright treason. This comes from Mark Pellin. The discovery last month of that Chinese COVID biolab in California may have shocked the nation, but it probably didn't come as any surprise to Gruesome Newsom, the Communist Chinese Party surrogate governor, who also goes by the name Gavin because he helped fund it. The now-notorious secret facility, says the piece, which contained a massive stockpile of various infective agents, including coronavirus, nearly a 1,000 dead lab mice, and vials of unidentified biological fluids, also likely came as no surprise to the Biden regime. Why? Well, the FDA last year issued a recall warning for nearly 54,000 COVID rapid tests manufactured by the company that owned that lab. And would you believe they got a whole bunch of tax credits, both state and federal, to boot? I do like this quote, courtesy of Representative Mark Green of Tennessee, who chairs the House Homeland Security Committee. Quote, allowing a Chinese company to practice gain-of-function research on our shores is like inviting biological warfare into our backyard. Unquote. Hey, let's not kid ourselves, folks. That's exactly what's been going on. And let's turn next to the economic war on the once-free American people. First, courtesy of Zero Hedge and Scott Shepard via RealClearMarkets.com, J.P. Morgan Chase is up to its old tricks, including debanking. Once again, it's not providing any explanations, though, and once again, it's targeting people who dare to question the far-left government slash woke. Business conspiracy, some of us call it a public-private partnership, against liberty. In this case, it appears that Chase debanked without warning doctors Syed Hader and, you know this name, Dr. Joseph Mercola, wait, no, not just them, but also Dr. Mercola's employees and their families, all without explanation and, of course, not without context. You may recall that last fall, Chase debanked Senator, Ambassador, and Governor Sam Brownback's Religious Liberty Organization after having debanked General Flynn and a whole bunch of other conservatives chase got called on the brownback debanking then first they stonewalled then later they lied half a dozen times about the reasons for the debanking then they went back to stonewalling and why well you know the answer because he dared to tell the truth about the uh, yeah let's be real here the zyklon b not vaccine and published over 600 articles on two facebook casting doubt on the not vaccines calling them among other things a medical fraud But the American banksters aren't alone. Coots Bank of Britain recently debanked the well-known influential conservative Nigel Farage, who championed Brexit. Which leads me to this story, courtesy of Moody's and also Hal Turner's radio show. Late Tuesday night in the wee hours of the morning, Moody's Investor Service lowered the credit ratings for 10 small and mid-sized U.S. banks and said they may downgrade a whole bunch of other major lenders as well, including U.S. Bank Corp., Bank of New York Mellon, State Street Corporation, and Trist Financial Corporation. Because of higher funding costs, potentially regulatory capital weaknesses, and rising risk tied to commercial real estate loans amid weakening demand for office space. That market, folks, is literally imploding. Oh, yeah, and they have a negative outlook for a whole bunch of other lenders as well. Bottom line, if you know the currency is going to collapse, why would you want to be out there on a limb with a bunch of banksters? I want to spend a few minutes today on a story of major importance that should be getting a lot more truthful attention than it's actually getting from a dishonest media that's trying to spin it into something entirely, not only unconstitutional, but absolutely antithetical to everything this nation once stood for, and by that I mean the rule of law. I'm going to take a particular blowtorch to a piece from the Daily Mail, but it's arguably not as bad as some of the spin you might see from places like the criminally negligent networks, including the WAPO, New York Times, MSNBC, et al., essentially anybody that uses the term fake electors or anything else that implies that there's anything other than not only an issue of real fraud here, and by that I'm referring to the 2020 so-called election election, But a vital issue of law as well, i.e. the constitutional issues surrounding it, and what really should be called what it is, a constitutional crisis. Because you know what, folks? If we don't get one of those, we haven't got a constitution. And by the way, as of right now, I hope this is clear, we don't. Let me start then with this piece from the Daily Mail. The headline says, Trump's lawyer's secret memo details, and they put it in quotes, bold, controversial strategy. Now, listen to the propaganda that begins this piece. A plot, and how's that for a word that implies some kind of chicanery, to overturn their revolution. By those who completed a successful coup. Yeah, a plot, they say, to overturn what they think they successfully got away with, with the help of, and they put this in quotes at least, but it's still a disgusting term, fake electors, was spelled out in a memo obtained by the New York Times on Tuesday with the document revealing... Oh, wow, what an amazing revelation. A key pillar of Jack Smith's, and I'm going to put one word in here because they're doing it, I might as well, propaganda, bogus, well, that's two words, indictment of Donald Trump. The memo was sent December 6, 2020, by a lawyer allied with Trump, Kenneth Cheesebro, to another lawyer working for the then president, James Troopas. And it was one of at least three memos, the piece continues, which Chesbro said to the Trump team, sketching out a legal rationale, which is true so far now, for overturning the Biden victory, which is not true, when the votes were certified, bogus as that might have been, on January 6, 2021. Do you see how anybody can play at this game of inserting words in there to spin it either toward or away from the truth? We're seeing another example of the fact that the victors write the history. Whether it was by hook or crook or uh, force of arms. The fake elector's strategy, continues the propaganda, is one of the key accusations made in the August 1 indictment of Trump on charges of trying to overturn the election. You could obviously just as easily say trying to reveal the fake and restore integrity to an election. Cheesebro not named in the indictment, the piece says, and is not currently facing charges. And I can't help but think there's a reason for that, folks. It should become clear as I go through this. But he is still referenced as co-conspirator number five. He's described in the indictment as an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential elections, sick, to obstruct the certification proceeding, unquote, and there is absolutely no indication of that whatsoever in the memo, and I'll read a bit of it just to make that point in a second. And here's the overriding issue. Whether people agree or not, this is a legal strategy for constitutionally challenging an election that by any reasonable measure had a whole lot of things that would raise the eyebrows at a bare minimum of anybody with half a brain. You stop the vote count in state after state in the wee hours of the morning. You send the poll watchers out of the room so that you can do whatever it is you intend to do without prying eyes, watching. And then when the votes finally come in, shazam, they've all changed. Well, they've all gone in a whole different direction, and... Miracle of miracles, the guy who never got out of his basement suddenly won 90% of all those that hadn't been counted yet or more. Wow, who could have thought it? Answer, nobody. And that's at least part of the reason why anybody paying attention would say, hmm, this stinks to high heaven. But hey, that's not what's even being discussed here. Instead, in post-constitutional America, it's suddenly a crime to even suggest that what stinks to high heaven isn't the Biden Fuhrer's poopy diapers or the bribes that he took from the communists that then rigged the election. It's the fraud that put him there. Back to the Daily Mail version of the propaganda here. The existence of the Cheeseboro Memo was first revealed in last week's indictment, but its contents were not made public. Perhaps, folks, because they were marked privileged and confidential, and back when we had a rule of law, they would have remained so. (laughs) But if I was the defense attorney, I might very well have made them public at this point anyway, because they tend to prove that the entire circus here is just that. And bogus to the core, quote, the memo lays out Cheesebro's plan to have a group of pro-tump electors, in other words, those that were pre-selected, just like every presidential candidate for both parties has for decades, and assemble on December 14, 2020, in the six contested states, and produce fake votes, unquote. And that is a bald face lie. They would produce exactly the votes that they were supposed to produce, and that, in fact, the state constitutions and state laws of those various states said that they should produce. And therein lies the rub. Trump's legal strategist advised that this was a viable way to ensure, quote, Joe Biden's win was not approved on January 6th. And I'm going to pause right there and say it's not a win, folks. It was a theft. It was fraud. And everybody knows it. Well, at least enough people know it to recognize that there was something that should have been adjudicated in a court of law here. Why, who knows? Maybe even the constitutional procedure. And you've got to ask what was the reason for putting that in the document to begin with, if not for a situation exactly like this might have been followed. And that's why this should be a constitutional crisis, because what we had was a coup, not an election. At least the Daily Mail does admit this. The point was to turn attention to claims of, quote, Democrat voter fraud, giving Trump's lawyers time enough to emerge victorious from various legal battles, which were already in progress in all of those contested states. And at least the Daily Mail does quote this from what the lawyer wrote. It seems feasible that the vote count can be conducted so that at no point will Trump be behind in the electoral vote count unless and until Biden can obtain a favorable decision from the Supreme Court upholding the Electoral Count Act as constitutional or otherwise recognizing the power of Congress and not the president of the Senate to count the votes, unquote, the lawyer wrote. Now, at this point, folks, what I think is reasonable to do, and at least I'll give the Daily Mail credit for this, they did include the actual memorandum in here, in toto, is tell you from his own words what one of Trump's legal strategists actually wrote. This is again a letter from Kenneth Cheesebroth, dated December 6, 2020, and it says, "Quote: This follows up on my November 18 memo, copy here, advocating that unless the president and vice president plan to concede the race, If they fail to reach 270 electoral votes by December 14th, the Trump-Pence electors all should meet in their respective states and cast their votes and send them to Washington so that the votes will be physically present at the joint session of Congress on January 6th. Pause. Nothing whatsoever illegal or especially unconstitutional about doing exactly what those electors are supposed to do. The question is simply, whose votes will be counted? And on what basis in law? Let me put it this way, folks. If state laws were violated and electors were seated in violation of that state's own laws, well, just exactly then, which electors are the fakes? Oh, yeah, and let's not forget this either. And just exactly who was deprived of the franchise in those states? Cheeseburg goes on to say this memo briefly covers three points. One, the importance of all the electors in all six contested states voting. Two, messaging about this being a routine measure. In other words, something that is constitutional in a situation like this. And by that, I know he means it has, in fact. You can check the records, folks, if you still remember what history is. And you can see for yourself there have been similar contests in the past of this republic. And number three, logistics. Logistics. He goes on to say in the first section here that I'd be happy to follow up on the subject with a separate memo if the national legal strategists are interested, but I've mulled over how January might play out, he said, and it seems feasible that the Trump campaign can prevent Biden from amassing 270 electoral votes on January 6th, and listen to this part folks, because it's key, and force the members of Congress, the media, and the American people to focus on the substantive evidence of illegal election and counting activities, anybody have any question that that was precisely what they were trying to focus on? Because that was precisely, let's be honest here, finally, that was precisely what was going on in the six contested states. I'll contend that there were other states, too, but they were stolen fair and square, so they're not even at issue, provided, he said, three things happen. A, all the Trump-Pence electors meet and vote in all six contested states and send in these certificates containing their votes listen to this, in compliance with federal and state statutes on December 14th. How is compliance with federal and state statutes a crime, much less even remotely illegal? B, there is pending on January 6th in each of the six states at least one lawsuit in either federal or state court which might plausibly, if allowed to proceed to completion, and isn't that an interesting point, lead to either Trump winning the state or at least Biden being denied the state. And of course, ideally by then, Trump will have been awarded one or more of the states, and Part C on January 6th in solemn and constitutionally defensible manner. Now since when is that a crime? Well, I guess we can answer that now, can't we? Consistent, he wrote, with clear indications that this is what the framers of the Constitution intended and expected. And, he said, consistent with precedent from the first 70 years of our nation's history. Wow, that sounds really seditious now, doesn't it? Back to the quote, Vice President Pence, presiding over the joint session, takes the position that it is his constitutional power and duty alone as president of the Senate to both open and count the votes and that anything in the Electoral Count Act to the contrary is unconstitutional, unquote. In other words, there is nothing illegal with taking, and let me be as clear as I can, folks, there is nothing whatsoever, at least there didn't used to be when we had a rule of law, there is nothing illegal about taking a constitutional and clearly constitutionally defensible position about legal courses of action. And not only that, hey, remember, this was marked privileged and confidential from attorneys advising their client, and the client is free to accept it or reject it. One thing it's not, however, is criminal. You don't have to share your strategy with the enemy. (laughs) Well, you didn't, again, back when we had a rule of law. And sadly, as we've learned since, Pence can't be trusted anyway, especially when it comes to doing his constitutional duty or actually having a backbone. And on that score, this really is interesting. Trump's attorney writes to another of his attorneys, I'm not necessarily advising this course of action, and the vice president need not make a decision on how to proceed until January 6th. And obviously there are many factors that will come to bear on how he proceeds, assuming the race has not been conceded before January 6th. And note, folks, it was not. My point here, said the attorney, is that it is important that the alternate slates of electors meet and vote on December 14th if we are to create a scenario under which Biden can be prevented from, well, basically seizing the rigged election. And he didn't put it that way, but I certainly will. Because with the benefit of two years of hindsight, it's increasingly undeniable that that's precisely what happened. The rest of the memo, folks, and I suggest that you read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it, and certainly don't take the word of the Daily Mail, New York Times, or WAPO for it. And that's the point here. We need to spend time actually looking at the real law involved if we want to understand how the United States has been overthrown. But basically, this is sound, arguably very constitutional advice from a lawyer to his client. You know, I can't help but wonder at this point, if a Biden lawyer, for example, was to advise him on how he and Hunter could get away with taking bribes, committing treason, and selling out the United States to, say, a foreign communist Chinese party government, if that memo was to come to light, hmm, would it be privileged, or would it be evidence of uh, a crime that we already know, because there's been plenty of other evidence, has been committed? Well, one thing's for sure, the Biden fear has nothing to fear from the likes of a Merrick Garland or Jack Smith, All right, one significant element of the strategy here, which the Daily Mail and most of the press isn't going to spend much time on at all, is how the count can be conducted so that Biden would end up being the one to have to seek Supreme Court review. When he's either behind, at one point or another, say 12 to 0 in the electoral count, or he says at the latest, when he's behind 232 to 227. And here's the key point. Even if in the end, the Supreme Court would likely end up ruling that the power to count the votes in the sense of resolving controversies concerning them does not lie with the president of the Senate, but instead lies with Congress, either voting jointly or in separate houses. Letting matters play out this way would guarantee that public attention would be riveted on the evidence of electoral abuses by the Democrats. And guess what, folks? That is absolutely, positively the real thing that they do not and will not allow to happen come hell or high water. And I think they're working hard to bring us to hell. Oh, yeah. Before we move on, one other interesting element here. Kenneth Cheeseborough wrote that there are two points that ought to be made to support this being a, quote, routine sensible measure. Concerning the slates of electors, meeting and voting on December 14th. First, our key adversary in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Elections Commission, or WEC, has recognized that there is plenty of time for litigation to play out and no need to rush unduly, because the real deadline is January 6th. See pages 6 to 10 of its Wisconsin Supreme Court brief, and he cites it and links it. And again, folks, don't forget that what the almighty state is claiming the crime here has to do with is fake electors meeting well prior to January 6th to do what they were elected to do by their respective parties. Similarly, he notes, Justice Ginsburg has noted that the date which has, quote, ultimate significance under federal law is the sixth day of January, the date set by three United States Code, Section 15, on which the Senate and House determine quote, the validity of electoral votes. And it cites Bush v. Gore there. And then he quotes Professor Lawrence Tribe, key Biden supporter and fervent Trump critic, who's likewise noted that the only real deadline for the state's electoral votes to be finalized is, quote, before Congress starts to count the votes on January the 6th. And this next paragraph would actually be funny if it wasn't so hypocritically tragic. He says, consider, too, this essay published by none other than CNN.com by Van Jones and Larry Lessig when they thought Trump might be ahead in the count in Pennsylvania who want to make it clear that Democrats should do exactly what Jack Smith and the communist insurgents are claiming is a crime when Trump tries to do it. And let me just quote a bit of this to uh, illustrate the point. Here's what should happen, they said, on December 14th, 2020, when the electors are to meet and cast their ballots. On that day, assuming the final count of the popular votes has not yet been certified, both. Huh? Both slates of Pennsylvania presidential electors should meet in Hattiesburg, both slates. Well, see, if it's the Republicans that were the real electors and the Democrats who were the fake electors, they're saying send the fakes too. Isn't that interesting? Both slates should cast their votes by ballot. And Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolfe should await the final resolution the popular vote before he certifies which slate should represent the state. And so long as that happens before January 6th, nothing should stop it from being counted by Congress. Isn't that amazing? And isn't the hypocrisy so thick you can cut it with a knife? Folks, this is precisely what I mean when I say the rule of law in this country has been dead and buried. And this too should be obvious, this has nothing whatsoever really to do with the last election. They got away with that, they rigged it fair and square, and now they're executing the real victors. Nope, this has to do with making blankety blank sure that they can successfully do it all over again and rig the next one coming up. Even if you know the truth, and they know you know.